Welcome to the Sidious Mag Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. The Sidious Mag Podcast is presented by Final Surge. No matter if you're an athlete or coach, Final Surge helps plan and attain both short and long-term training success. Their free online training log is compatible with Garmin, Strava, Polar, Stride, Koros, and a slew of other apps and devices. If you're a coach, Final Surge makes planning and analyzing workouts simple and helps streamline communication with your athletes. Some of the top coaches in the world who have been guests on this podcast use it on a daily basis. If you're an athlete out there hammering miles and tempo runs solo with no guidance or direction, Final Surge is also here to offer up some world-class training programs. Get yourself a training plan for that spring 5K, that half marathon or full marathon that's on your calendar right now. They've got plans from Ben Rosario and NAZ Elite, Drew Hunter and Christine Thorne and the Tin Man Squad with their hammer and axe plans are up on there. Hit the classics with Greg McMillan, our Boston Marathon champion, and be Burfoot. If you're a fan of the sport and are curious how the pros are training, Kellen Taylor, Stephanie Bruce, and the rest of the NAZ Elite Squad share all of their training logs on Final Surge. Give it all a look at finalsurge.com, and if something sticks out to you, catch an episode next week for how you can get your hands on a nice discount for the Sidious Mag podcast listeners. Feel free to reach out to me if you need it sooner. Visit finalsurge.com today. Support for this episode also comes from listeners like you. Many thanks to everyone who has backed us on Patreon. A warm welcome to Monte Camo. Caitlin Grant and Alan Finder for signing up within the past week. Cheers to Sydney, who also signed up and said, thanks for keeping me company on my Saturday long runs. Shout out from South Korea. Sidious Mag goes international. I love it. If you enjoy what we're doing across the Sidious Mag podcast network, whether it's this show, Run Your Mouth, More Than Running, or if you just follow us on social media to keep up with the sport's latest news and results, support us over at patreon.com slash Mag. On Patreon, you could donate anything from a dollar a month, and we even have some people who contribute $20 a month or a dollar a day, which comes out to $31 for the month. It's also we can cover hosting expenses, plan on location coverage, do some more fun things like that show that we just did at the Milrose Games. Think of $4 a month on Patreon like buying me or my colleagues Mac Fleet or Kyle Merber a cup of coffee. Anything more than that is just greatly appreciated. So for those of you who are unable to commit to a monthly contribution, you can also make a one-time donation by sending any dollar amount over to Sidious Mag on Venmo. Feel free to include any message to let us know why you did it. It could be because you enjoyed the conversations, maybe we're keeping you company on a run or a commute, or if you just want to shout out a friend. Consider Venmo as a virtual tip jar. Those who chipped in this past week on Venmo include Charles Dart, Jessica Brennan, Jack Crowell, James Voss, and Joan Nesbitt-Mabe. Joan says, Chris Chavez is bringing track talk to the masses. Keep up the great work. A bluebird shout-out from North Kakalaki, Joan to Colorado, Sarah Jane. One last way of supporting us is by getting your hands on any Sidious Mag merch by visiting SidiousMag.com and hitting the merch tab. We added some coffee mugs on there so you can enjoy your morning brew while reading the latest edition of the Lap Count newsletter by Kyle Merber every Wednesday. And last thing before we get to the interview, I'm always grateful for the listeners who leave a little five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your reviews and ratings help new people discover the show and let future sponsors know what you think. Thanks again to everyone who has shared some of the most recent episodes on their Instagram stories or on Twitter. I do my best to reshare every time someone tags either me or Sidious Mag in them. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. 
My guest for today's episode is Jasmine Todd, and please give her a warm welcome as she is joining the City of Smack team to help bolster our coverage of the sprints and jumps in 2022. Jasmine is a world championship silver medalist from 2015 in the 4x100 meter relay. She also competed in the long jump at the 2019 World Championships in Doha. Last year, she finished eighth at the U.S. Olympic Trials in the women's long jump. She trains in California and has her sights set on making this year's world championship team in Eugene. However, the road there isn't all that glamorous. In this episode, she peels back the curtain on why she recently went public with a GoFundMe looking for assistance in funding her housing before she makes it to Hayward. On the page, she says, I know I can break the American record in the long jump. I know I can make this world championship team, and I know I can medal. I just need proper resources again. We touch on Jasmine's college career, a little bit of what she looks forward to as a sprinter and jumper, how the media coverage in those disciplines is lacking sometimes, and what we can do to fix it. It's a very, very ca- candid conversation, and maybe you can consider supporting her on her journey, whether it's as a backer on that GoFundMe page or as a general fan. She'll have Sidious Mag behind her in 2022. So without further ado, here is our new Sprints and Jumps voice, Jasmine Todd. All right, and now we welcome on Jasmine Todd to the podcast, world championship medalist, uh, former Oregon Duck. Once again, I'm outnumbered two to one with former Ducks on this podcast as my co-host, Mac Fleet, joins me for this conversation. But uh, Jasmine, indoor season is upon us. How are things going? And, you know, it's a shame we don't see you on these uh, Milrose games start lists. It's sad, but also at the same time, very exciting to watch the level of competition um, that is going to be at Milrose. I'm super excited to watch the sprints and the jumps, uh, the ladies that they brought out for the long jump. I'm very confident that it's going to be a really good competition. Now, one of the things I saw, I think, on Twitter was someone saying like that the board at the armory has like some good pop on it. Like, is that is that something that you've ever experienced or like what what I guess explain it to us distance runners like what leads to a good jump sometimes like in terms of like facilities like do some places have better you know boards I guess than other places oh absolutely I can't tell you the scientific side behind it but it's just that feeling you go off that board and it just feels like a bouncy spring and there's certain tracks like Albuquerque has a great track um Tyson has a great track at out at Arkansas. Um, they have a wonderful track. I love competing there. And for some reason, it's also like that elevated versus being flat too. For whatever reason, sometimes I feel like that elevation on the runway just adds a little extra oomph to those jumps. Yeah. So one of the reasons why we brought you on this podcast is to introduce you to the Sidious Mag listeners and the audience because... Uh, we've decided we want to shine more of a light on the sprints and the jumps in 2022. And you're here to help us with that. Um, and sort of just, you've had your own podcast for a couple of years. You are very active on social media, sharing and sort of your journey. So I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit as to like, you know, we've been so focused on, on running and, you know, I'm a big throws guys too, as well, like sometimes. And so, <laughs> But on the sprint side, it feels weird because growing up in high school, I was a sprinter. I ran the 200, 
didn't really love the 400 like everyone does. Uh, and so for me, like this is it's cool to, I guess, pick at your brain a little bit as to how you guys follow the sport and follow the top storyline. So what have we been missing? Like what's out there? Like, how do you keep up with the sport as a sprinter and jumper? Oh my goodness. When I tell you we're we're such a tight knit competitive community. Um, I think it might be the same for the distance runners as well, where you guys are, you guys all know each other and you guys follow along with everybody. And being the fact that most of us have known each other since probably we were youths and, and little kids running and, and just getting into college and following college, you kind of start to find those people and they're like, oh, they were really good. So you follow along with them the entire rest of the way. We're so big on following along, looking up those results. We see meets, we look up those start lists, we see who's entered in them. And then we're just, we always compare the competition that's there. And I think one of the funnest things that is now out, I think it's called the roster app where you can kind of pick and choose your teams in the battles. We actually have groups of sprinters and jumpers that go in and we'll pick, pick our people. And it's the funnest competition that we have throughout the season. So what are sort of the big things that you're sort of looking forward to here in uh, 2022, just coming off in Olympic trials, like, like, Aside from the long jump, like what, what event captures your eye? Oh my good. Right now the shot put, (laughs) (laughs) the shot put has my eye. I'm super excited to see what those men bring. Ryan is out here breaking world records and right behind him, he's got other athletes that are coming in and that 22 mark is just insane. Now that's a normal (laughs) mark for them. (laughs) that wasn't that wasn't a thing usually if you're hitting 22 and now it's like 23 and and so getting to watch the shot put um especially after having such an odd year of the pandemic and just to see the amazing things that were produced from that even at our olympic trials to watch that meet was so amazing to see how much everyone overcame so I'm super excited going into 22 just to see what happens, especially knowing that we're on our home turf. We're mm-hmm. here in America. What what better place to show out than home? Yeah. Um, Jasmine, uh, is there any equivalent, would you say, to, say, distance runners in their mileage? I know throwers use throws per week, similar to miles per week. In this sort of part of your season uh, indoors, what would you say is probably the equivalent of that? Like, is it weights? Is it, I, you're not really doing mileage? What would it be? Yeah, we definitely don't do mileage. I know I don't. I am so far from distance. <laughs> um, I would definitely say for, for sprinters and jumpers, it's definitely being in that weight room and gaining that powder, that wow, that powder, that power. <laughs> um, and so just getting a lot of power and, and just getting ready that season your sprint work as well um focusing in on that sprinting and getting all that speed work in as opposed to your endurance which you do in the fall so once we get into that indoor season this is where a lot of people will ramp up their speed work their their power what they're doing in the weight room and just trying to lift extremely heavy um just that you know later down when we're into the outdoor season a lot of people will kind of shed down in the weight room and lift a lot lighter but being more explosive so it's really, I love the weight room. That's my favorite place to be. <laughs> Are you, I have, a, I guess a, a bigger technical question. Do you pay attention to bar speed as your season progresses? 
Is that something that I know some some programs do? Do you guys uh, in Chula Vista? We actually don't. Um, I've seen, I think some of the throwers, um, they'll do that. But for <laughs> us, for the most part, we don't really pay attention to that. We're just get it and go as fast as you can. Right. In these early season races, my favorite thing in the interviews that they do afterwards with the athletes is when, even if someone wins a race, like it could be January, February, they always say, oh, I haven't started speed work yet. So when, <laughs> when do people actually start speed work? <laughs> um, we never start speed work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is probably one of the most funniest running jokes that sprinters always talk about is we are we're always after every interview even when you go into outdoors especially early outdoors everyone's like we're we're not doing the speed work yet we haven't tapped into that that's not what we're doing but a lot of the times they're doing it without realizing it um for me me and my coach we're we're very we communicate a lot when it comes to that part of it of this is this is a speed cycle we're going to be sprinting this is speed, speed, speed. This is more speed endurance. And so I think a lot of sprinters kind of take that speed endurance, not realizing that they're still technically working on their speed. You're going all out that speed work. So where are we at in terms of a buildup right now? It's, it's late January, about the calendar is about to turn into February. So where do you kind of like, how do you sort of focus on that calendar and that training block you know, obviously the big goal would probably be USA's for outdoors. So how do you sort of build towards that? So uh, as we go into the season right now, like I said, I'm actually in the last week of my cycle for speed training. And then we go back to more of that speed endurance type of work, mm -hmm. more of that technical side. Um, we're focused for trying to make this world indoor team. And so for me personally, that that's where I'm at, um, trying to make it onto this team where not everybody's goal is to make it onto the world indoor team. Actually, a lot of sprinters hate indoors. It is not their favorite thing to do because the off events, the, the bank tracks, <laughs> a lot of people don't really enjoy running the 60 because it's such a short race. Um, but I, I really enjoy that. So yeah, definitely right now we're focused on building that speed and then we'll kind of maintain back off taper off and then once we get back to USA's that's where we're going to try to really peak again um because that's that's what's important and then taper back down again and worlds awesome uh speaking of bank tracks do 200 meter runners or even 400 indoor runners are they hoping to get lane five or six because you get the two downhills honestly they are the the farthest you are on the outside, anytime somebody is in that far outside lane, they're probably going to win. Um, they're probably going to have the fastest time. That's where a lot of records are broken. <laughs> Nobody wants to be on the inside, um, which is so different because outdoors, you want to be in those middle lanes. Most people kind of also prefer the more inside you are because they want to see the competitors in front of them and be able to gauge how to run the race. Um, yeah, indoors, everybody is like, put me on that last lane as far out as I can get. I don't know if you guys saw that the high schooler, that big kid that just ran like 20.7 as a junior, but I think he was in lane. Yeah, I think he was in lane five, but I just saw that big guy just rolling down those that last uh, downhill. Right? I mean, it's a downhill. Yes. Uh, <laughs> 
And I was like, dude, this guy's just leaning forward. Of course he's going to run fast. <laughs> For me personally, I am, my coaches all know the 200. They've avoided having me run the 200 indoors. And it's surprising because actually the taller you are, the harder indoors is. So just running on those bank tracks as a taller person, difficult. So, so kudos to him because I have no idea how he managed to do that because he's a big kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Huge. I'm loving this already. This is basically uh, sprinting for dummies and we're getting all our questions answered so far. Um <laughs> This is so much fun. So let's let's give some background for people listening and meeting you sort of for the first time, whether it's in their earbuds or watching some of this on YouTube. But where does this all begin? Your parents were were college athletes as well. So take us back to the first seeds being planted for you in track and field. <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I gotta hear this then. <laughs> so um, growing up, my dad was a high school coach. And so we're from San Diego, California. And my dad coached at Helix High School. I loved being there. I think it was the funnest thing being a kid, just I wasn't really running track. So I got to watch the high schoolers jump. Me and my brother would sit up on the bank. And <laughs> as they would jump, whenever they did a bad jump, I just remember us being like, another one bites the dust. And they were, they were probably the most annoying kids ever. They were probably like, get these kids out of here. Um, and so 2004, I actually joined my first track club and I was so slow because I am very lanky. I've got long legs, long arms, but I'm only five, six. So a lot of people see me on TV and they assume I'm way taller than I am. Lined up to a lot of these girls, I'm much shorter than they are. <laughs> And so I had these big feet, long legs, long arms, uncoordinated. My dad did not think that I was going to be good at track. And he will tell you that himself. He was like, it looked like you had bricks on you when you were running. <laughs> so I, we moved to Arizona in 2005. And after that, I was like, I don't want to do track. This is not my passion. I hate it. I don't want to do it. So I avoided doing track altogether until... 2008, maybe 2007, was either my seventh or eighth grade year of junior high. Only reason why I joined track was to be with my friends. <laughs> That's how it starts didn't... for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, I just didn't want to go home after school. I'm like, oh, you guys are running track? Let me go run track too. Um, and then the Arizona Cheetahs, their track coach, Coach Eric, he saw me at our junior high state meet. And he walked up to my parents and he said, you know, have her come over to the Cheetahs. She is going to be a great athlete. She's really good. Bring her here. We'll make her better. And then I kind of, I don't think I should say this, but I got recruited basically to go to this high school, which is great <laughs> at track. Um, I think when I got there, they had like nine straight um, state championship meets for the woman. Um, maybe like four or five for the men. I don't remember. Yeah the men, you know, the women were always better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's how my track career kind of began. And then uh, I got faster and faster as time went on. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you, you were a jack of all trades in high school from I'm seeing here, high school personal best, 1164 wind dated for the hundred long jump, 20 feet, one, one and a half inches, triple jump, 41 feet, five inches, 60 meters, 
7.42. I mean, what did you take a liking to any event in particular? Or was there, because I feel like at some point when you start winning as a, as a young kid, you just t- kind of gravitate towards that event. I was a jumper at heart. Um, for me at the time, it's crazy because although I ran an 11.6, these girls were out here running 11.3s, 11.2s. And I was just, I was mind blown. I'm like, why are these girls so fast in other states? But you know what? I'm fast in my state, so it's fine. I was strictly a jumper at heart, still am to the, well, probably not right now, but I I'm gravitate to the, towards jumps. Triple jump is my favorite event all time. Um, if I could go back, I definitely would continue doing it, but ACL tear kind of threw that out the window. So a lot of people don't even know that I was recruited to be a triple jumper and a long jumper, but I was at practice at Oregon one day and they saw us do our testing. And they're like, yeah, you're going to be on our four by one. And then it was, yeah, you're running the hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Mac, do you remember seeing some of these, uh, like the the tryouts, I guess, or whatever it is, the trials for for the sprinters? I think the most memorable tryouts were always those 300s that people had to run at, like, I want to say it was the week after indoors or something like that. The second week after indoors, there were 300 meter tryouts and it was like the most dramatic day <laughs> of the year i think for all of the sprint side it was i mean people would just be laying down on the ground for like 20 minutes afterwards um and generally that was like after they had all had like a week off so it was like the kind of the punch in the gut sort of to like get back into training uh that's what i remember most because everyone you would just be screaming at each other like everyone's cheering each other on and whatnot but the distance runners are just like all right we're running eight by a k but (laughs) All right, you got it's like raining miserable out and these guys are just running all out. It was that was pretty cool. <laughs> do you remember all this? You guys yeah, you guys would do you guys would mostly do your your like testing stuff underneath the West Grandstands. Yes. Right? Because it was just so it was so miserable outside. See, this is like now back in our day. They had <laughs> yeah, now, they had now 60 meters. Great track. Like we we had this little increment of track to work with. <laughs> And now they've got this big, wonderful stadium, but definitely remember that um, I was fortunate enough that out of the four years that I was there, I only had to run it twice. And my senior year, I I never had to run it. I think it was my sophomore year because I came in with a tour in ACL. So I didn't have to run it my freshman year. And then my coach is like, "Mm, let's have you run it (laughs) just because. But they knew anything over about 180 and me just probably was not. Um. <laughs> what do you remember about uh, your recruiting call, I guess, from from Oregon and like where, where else were you looking? Oh, my goodness. So Oregon was actually the last school to call me. Um, they I think they called me in like December <laughs> of so, your senior year. Uh, yes, December of my senior year of high school. And. The schools that I was looking at, I wanted to go to UCLA so bad. That was like my dream school, but their track program was not conducive at the time when I was getting recruited. So I was looking at UCLA. Um, I took a visit to Alabama, to Texas Tech, and then to TCU. And it kind of came down to the end of... um, Oregon and Alabama, but when when Oregon had called, it was just, 
immediately I was like, yes, I'm going to come take this visit. Like there was no hesitation. Jenna and English, they were my hostess at the time. <laughs> I had a great time with them. <laughs> and before I left, I was like, I told them, I was like, you know, yeah, I'm going to commit here. Um, I also didn't really know who English was. Like I did not know any of her accolades. I just really thoroughly enjoyed the team. The sprinters at that time were so much fun. They were a great time to be around. They showed me a great time. And it was a great time when I got there my freshman year. I, I loved that group of people. It was so fun. <laughs> I, I always think about what those personalities would have been on social media if it were as big back then as it is now. Because I see, like, I know she carries running you know, 10, seven and, you know, as fast as English should run, but also everyone's running faster now. Like, yeah. Who just, I'm using English as an example, but like, it's so hard to understand like how good people were just because we're flooded with social media. Now it almost is like people 10 years ago didn't exist because there isn't that much content from them. Um, We had these personalities that were on the team, like a bunch of other teams were massive but there was nowhere to put it online. It was just yes. at practice. Oh, it was English crazy. must be so mad that this NIL stuff wasn't around like when, when she was in college because she was a massive personality. I just remember even watching like the NCAA championships. Like she was so entertaining before and after the races. Like it, it's so crazy to think about because I was there during that transition. And so to be there and kind of see it, I remember specifically Oregon didn't really like that we were on social media because they didn't understand like the value of being on there. It was just like, oh, you guys are just trying to show yourselves off, like get off social media, focus on the track. And now it's like, no, this is what's going to get them. This is going to help them in their future. This is where marketing these athletes are able to start building their brands. If the athletes that were there at the time had the same opportunities as the athletes now, I think that a lot of their careers would have turned out way different. Really? Yeah. We, we used to have, I think Greg Walker is still there. Great. I, and this is just how impactful he was. He was an Oregon communications guy. Um, He would come in twice a year and would basically have the most amazing roast of the best and worst social media practices from our team. So we would, the entire track and field cross country team would sit down in an amphitheater and he would, he had 12 months or six months based off of when we were doing it of people's posts. (laughs) And he would just read them off in the driest way. And basically is like, is this something that we want out there? No. (laughs) And then like, I would get scolded all the time for cussing in my interviews with like runner space or flow track or the NCAA, like, I have a horrible mouth. So Greg would just come in and be like, Mac, why are you dropping the F-bomb in a post-race interview? You just don't need to do that. Um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was a totally different time. Completely different. And now, you know, people cuss in these interviews and it's... It's no like celebrated. It's like, oh, like, look, yes. they've got personality. Yes, yeah. they have personality. And like everyone else is scared. And it's like, that's just not what we grew up with. We were... We grew up having to be these cookie cutter athletes of, hey, like this, this is what you're supposed to do. Uh, Try not to do this, please. (laughs) So it it all goes hand in hand and sort of like 
the the whole mission that we're trying to do is just kind of amplifying like the athlete voices and like telling some of these stories around the athletes as like the season builds up and we've got this huge moment on the horizon here in the United States. So I guess from the University of Oregon, like what was what was your biggest highlight in terms of just like the moment that sticks out in your head is like that was the best moment of my career as a duck because I mean you two are so fortunate that you guys were around championships left and right. Yes. Oh my goodness. I think there's kind of two big moments. I, I don't think I can pick one of the two. Um, one of those moments is Pac 12s running five events and particularly the 200. I remember my coach literally just saying, Hey, it's been a long two days. You don't even run the 200. We know you're just doing this for points. All we need you to do is break up these USC girls. It was like five of them in the 200 than me and like one other school. <laughs> and he was just like, break them up. And that's all we need you to do. I don't care what the time is, just do your best to break them up so that they're not completely sweeping. Moment that that I don't know how I got through that because I took maybe two jumps in the long jump, three jumps in the triple. Uh, I ran the hundred, I did the four by one and did the 200 all in two days. And Unless you're a heptathlete, that's nobody does that <laughs> unless you're in high school. Um, the second best moment for me was also a learning moment of NCAAs where I wasn't focused on my own race. So I ended up not making it into the final when I was seated to win the hundred. And then it kind of threw me off in the long jump. And I remember Coach Curtis sitting me down and saying, hey, you don't have to do USAs. It's no pressure to do it. If you don't want to do it, we can end and just get ready for next year. And I remember telling him, I have nothing to lose. And I went out there and ended up making it on the world championship team in two events. And he did not expect that. He, I remember he looked at me and Jenna was like, I had summer plans and you guys ruined them. <laughs> <laughs> So on that, in that first moment that you brought up of just running all the different events. Okay. So kind of explain it to us dummies again, sort of as to how do you, how do you make that all work in terms of just like being able to recover between events and like knowing what time you have to warm up for what event? Like, I know you probably have a coach that is helping you manage all of that time, but it just feels like it'd be so overwhelming. And on top of that, the pressure of like, you got to break up these USC girls. Oh my goodness. That it was so overwhelming. It was literally, uh, we kind of had a talk before of, Hey, you're not going to take all of your jumps because you do need your body to recover. And I think I had long jump first. I was actually really upset in the long jump because I only took those two jumps. And after I finished, I was in the lead when I had stopped jumping and then I stopped jumping and somebody jumped further than me. And I was just like, ah, I want to go jump again. <laughs> Michael just like, no, absolutely not. Like we need you for tomorrow. Um, and so just really having to dial in focus. And I, I do this thing where I'm in the event, whatever happens, I have about five minutes to kind of bypass it, move on to the next event, short-term memory. I kind of amnesia it. Um, and so that's kind of the, the biggest thing that got me through Pac-12s was just handling that time management. Um, coaches were all, like yelling at me, hey, you got check-in time over here, like come do this, but just keeping that amnesia of, okay, boom, I've got, I came, I ran the 100, whatever happened, happened, got to let it go. 
I, it didn't matter if I did great, if I did bad, except for the 200, because I, I was just like, I was so dead. Everyone watched me. They're like, oh, you ran the first 150 so great. And then uh, we don't know what happened. You started running backwards, but you broke them up. <laughs> um, so getting not, to that was, was great. It's not to add even more pressure to that moment, but you know, I feel like there's been rumors for the longest time about like a documentary series following like the University of Oregon, like in season, the track team in particular. And like, everyone's been talking about like this formula one drive to survive documentary style series mm -hmm. that follows a team. And if you really embedded yourself into the NCAA and said, okay, we're going to follow the Oregon ducks for like a whole year, like that episode in and of itself, if it just focused on you that day and doing all those five events would be just so theatrical, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the best turnaround, especially after I think 2014, I was at Pac-12s with a broken foot trying to jump and compete and couldn't finish Pac-12s. So to come around and be able to handle five events in those two days was just something that was so extraordinary and will always hold a place in my heart. See, it, it, I, it, oh, go ahead, Mac. Yeah, I was going to say what I do appreciate about what we did at Oregon, or at least how the coaches and staff approached some of those championship style uh, competitions was usually they would tell us what we were expected to score. And I feel like people at that level want to know what that expectation is. It's almost like it's a less of a, it's a less of a burden. If you're told, Hey, we expect you to score eight points. Yeah. Um, then you're just thinking like, all right, I got to score eight points to the team. Um, and if you walk away from your event scoring six, instead of eight, you got to let your teammates know like, Hey, I, I put, I put up six instead of eight. You got to pick me up. Yeah. And that's where I think, both teams really, um, really embraced that sort of environment of knowing exactly what you were supposed to do. I do think a lot of teams and coaches go out there and it's like, try your best. <laughs> and it's like, all right, like when you're trying to win stuff, you need to know what's expected of you. And I think the coaches want that of the athletes. And I think the athletes want that from the coaches as well. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why that those teams are extremely consistent and perform at such a high level. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that is different. Yes, absolutely. I think that was probably one of the, the better things that that was expected. You were told literally, hey, these are the points that we're expecting from you. So and then we we as a team, I think for many years, they're probably still great at doing this now of picking up that slack and pushing each other on. That was probably I loved the fact that everyone would be literally sitting there cheering each other on trying to push and it pushed everybody else to pick up that slack if somebody just kind of slipped up and didn't do what they needed to do or just whatever happened that day happened. But there's always somebody there that had your back and was ready to like, Hey, okay, let's pick it up. We're going to, we're going to hold you down. <laughs> I, I would say, sorry, Chris, this is, now we're just diving into stories here. Um, probably one of the best examples of that was indoors in Albuquerque in 2014. I think, yeah, that's when our men's and women's team both won. Yeah. Um, I was, I was notched to score 10. I ended up getting third and then we had Devin Allen ended up winning. And I think he was supposed to get second. And then I think, um, we had some other people pick up my points. We ended up winning, I think fairly convincingly Sasha crashed out of the hurdles and okay. she, she stepped off the track because like of that was her, I think that was her freshman year. Yeah. There's eight people score. She's one of the eight. So she steps off, gets DQ'd instead of just going over. And that's just like total rookie. Can't blame her for that. Yeah. So now the women are just down on points. 
and it ends up going to that four by four with um, Phyllis outleaning Texas, like by it's it's like to me that's the best moment of my career there. It's just watching the women's team win a team title after the men had won, coming down to like a hundredth of a second with Phyllis chasing down um, who'd she chase down from Texas? Um, She's still was- running. She's in Tantra's group. Was it Ashley? Ashley Spencer? Spencer, yeah. Uh, chased her down. And it was like a, a buzzer beater for both teams to win. And it was just like coming back on points, picking the picking the, the other points back up. It was like the craziest meet ever. <laughs> craziest thing. That moment. I, I just remember everybody freaking out. The amount of joy that happened in that moment was insane. I felt really bad for Texas. But... <laughs> but but that was like we were getting screamed like the uh, faculty and everybody was trying to like push us off the track because the rest of the team was in the stands and we were trying to like rush the the infield and the people are yelling that we're going to get DQ'd and like they were going to disqualify like our whole team from the it was crazy but like we we got to rush the infield it was one of the coolest things (laughs) so when you have all this team energy I know in that second moment that you brought up, it sort of had to shift gears and focus on just yourself. And it landed you on a world's team. Was that sort of like the first light bulb that goes off for you in terms of just like, I can do this even after my time is done at Oregon, you know, professionally for a couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. I think that while I was there in 2015, I kind of knew that if I wanted to, I could have gone pro. Um, And Going into NCAAs, it was so heartbreaking. I think that's also when I kind of learned for myself personally to stay off social media because that's when all the stats come in. That's when you see everyone talking about all those projections of who's supposed to win. Oh, this person's running this time. Like, And it just got to my head and I was putting too much pressure on myself. It wasn't even the big headed, yeah, I'm going to win. It was like, I just had so much pressure sitting on my shoulders of, I have to do this in order to help my team. And so it was funny because I had, that was the first time that I just had a bad race all year. That was my only bad race, even though I still ran a good time. And that's all coach Curtis could say after. So he wasn't even upset. He was just like, you know, everyone has their bad race. And it's just so unfortunate that yours happened at NCAAs. It's always expected, but yours just happened at the wrong time. And I, I went back, I cried. I went to the long jump, did not do what I wanted to do in the long jump, went back, cried some more. Our four by one got DQ'd. I cried more. And I was just like, <laughs> it, it was such a, a chaotic weekend. And after that, I, for me, it was that fuel on that fire of, you know what, you paid attention to all this other stuff. I had no pressure. I, I specifically remember telling Coach Curtis, I have no pressure. I'm not losing money to this because I wasn't a professional athlete. And now I kind of kick myself in the butt when I say that because I'm like, dang, that's that's wild that you said that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, to me, I'm like, I'm, I'm not losing money. I can't collect the prize money. I I earned a spot to be there. I qualified. So why not just go out and finish off the season how we planned to at USA's? And so 
going in, it was such a lesson learned to just stay in your lane. Don't worry about anything. You have no pressure. No one's expecting anything of you. And it was great because after everyone's like, we just keep hearing your name, Jasmine. It's Jasmine Todd, Jasmine Todd. And I'm just like, I don't know, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. So then the opportunity presented itself. You go to, was it Beijing that year, right? 2015? Yes. Beijing, oh. you're wearing Team USA gear. I guess, what was that moment like for you to now finally compete on the on the world stage? Scary. Oh my goodness. I remember being, I think it was the prelims of the 100. And everyone, I tried to throw up the O and my hands were shaking so bad because I was so nervous. And so after the race, I got back and everyone was like, Jasmine, why were your hands shaking so hard? And I was just like, I've never been to a stage this big. I don't know. It was scary. <laughs> um, it was uh, definitely the first time traveling international to that level. Um, so getting to experience that and realizing how much you actually have to like prep yourself and your body has to adjust to those times and um also just being staying race ready it, it's hard and I don't think people understand that it's super difficult to to travel to these other countries and be expected to perform at these high levels and so for me to sit there kind of learn that and then also being around the team it, it was so much fun I didn't realize how goofy so many people were because I only saw them on the screen. I also didn't know a lot of people. I didn't know very much about track and field. <laughs> but you see a lot of people at these meets and you're only seeing their competitive side where they're just very straightforward. I'm here to get my job done. And so kind of to see that goofiness of like, these are human beings. I thought that was a great, great experience. Um, it wasn't my favorite place to be. Uh, the food that they served us wasn't very good. <laughs> Who did you have as like mentors, I guess? Was it, was Brittany Reese, like, I guess one of the big stars and like, I guess who, who, who else kind of like took you under their wing while you're out there? Um, Brittany, honestly, Brittany, Tiana and Janae. Um, okay. Oh, that's at right. USA's, so at USA champs, they actually sat me down because Brittany had the buy and I was sitting in fourth place and they, all three of them came over and they just said, Hey, relax have fun you're gonna make it on the team because we get to take four I didn't know about buys or anything of that sort and so I was just like huh really like I I'm gonna make it on the I get to make it on the team like great <laughs> um and then also Allison um we had relay camp in Monaco and just to like sit down and one talk to someone who you grew up watching that's your idol was so amazing because she, she's such a sweetheart she's so helpful she her and tiana were teaching me these little tricks of um because they wanted me to run first leg on the four by one my my start was absolutely terrible so i was like now that would be adding some pressure on me because i don't have a good start i don't know if you guys want me to be there <laughs> Um, and so they were just teaching this little trick of when you're going to push off um, while we're doing our, our handoff exchanges, start on the outside of the lane so that you're not fully running on this curb. It's hard to explain if you're not like sitting on a track, but just them giving me that little tip. It, it was so amazing because it triggered so much where I was starting to get things down. And so I was starting to feel a little bit more comfortable at first leg. 
So yeah, those four ladies, yeah, those four ladies are definitely people that kind of took me under their wing and they helped mentor me throughout that entire process. Why, why aren't those tips being shared with, with the men's teams? Like, although like they've been having so many struggles on the race. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, that is a very good question. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you could plead the fifth year because I'm sure like a bunch of them are still your friends. <laughs> oh, I, I plead the fifth. I just really hope we have too much talent on the men's side for them to not be getting that stick around because that, that the men we have, that's a world record just waiting to happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure they just extended the zones, right? By 10 meters. Yes, I know because the uh, the track we're at, they just got repainted and it's got new new triangles on it. And I figured that's just because the U.S. men's team can't get around the track. <laughs> they changed the damn like, international rules. <laughs> that's so cool, though, to hear that, like, you know, even Allison Felix, like talking you through sort of like the relays, it's sort of like this is a superstar, global superstar in the sport. And it's like taking the time to a newcomer three years removed from setting the world record at the Olympics. And it's like, Hey, like I've been through this. I trust you to kind of uphold that standard of excellence that the U S has. You know, the craziest thing is me and Jenna had exchanged handoffs the entire year for Oregon. Our best exchange was at world championships. That is the only time that we had such a phenomenal exchange and I do think that it played into the ladies that were helping us, um, that were veterans to this. And they've been there. They've done that. Allison, Tiana, English, all of them had been there. They've been on these relays. And so um, I'm so fortunate and so happy that that I was able to have those moments with them. Where do you keep uh, your silver medal? And I guess also the rings from Oregon. <laughs> so when I had first signed with Nike, they sent me this box to put my medals in. And so all of them are sitting inside that box and that box is sitting in storage. Nice. <laughs> I, uh, I never got a box. So. <laughs> um, so after college, you go to Altus, right? And then spend some time there. What were some of the big learnings and things uh, that you took away from your time out in uh, Arizona? I cannot train back at home. Really? <laughs> That was the biggest takeaway. Um, also, just learning to be a professional athlete. I remember sitting down and talking to Stu and him kind of having to realign the way that I was thinking about being professional and like, you know, being a practice on time, making sure you're doing that extra work at home where it's not necessarily work, but rehabbing, doing what you can um, just to get better recovery and better yourself for the next day. And also my eating habits, because I really didn't have much of a diet. In 2015, um, everybody would be like, Jasmine, what'd you eat? And I was like, Pizza Hut wings and Pizza Hut pasta. What are you guys talking about? <laughs> um, and so just kind of transitioning and really taking what I was feeling my body serious being at Altus, I think that that was a lot of fun. Also for me personally, um, although I loved the group, uh, I realized that I needed to be around other Americans because that group has a lot of foreign people. And so although um, they're competitive, it's not as competitive as the U.S. And so sometimes when you're appointed onto your teams um, or you just have to hit the standard and you're kind of automatically put on there, it's easier. But as an American, you really have to be grinding at practice you can't take 
any days off or you can't kind of back off and play off somebody else. Um, and so that was something that I definitely took away. And although I was very happy to be there and it was a great experience, that was something that I, I had to make that decision of, you know, I need to be with other Americans that are in that very competitive mindset. Uh, you're in the high performance group that's in Chula Vista right now. What, so you have that Altus, um, are there any other groups or is everyone pretty much just training solo outside of those kind of hubs? Um, if you go into the shoe sponsors and you've got those shoe sponsor hubs, so, and then Tonja's group as well, which mm. she's got everybody, but it's, it's mostly women. I believe, I think she's only coaching women. Um, but then you've also got D2, which I think he's got a few different shoe sponsored athletes, but for the most part, I think he might have mostly Nike athletes. Um, then you've got Dennis Mitchell. He's got a bunch of the Nike athletes, the Adidas group. I think that's Lance that coaches them. Um, and then there's also one other group. I can't remember the coach's name, but they're out of the country. Not a lot of athletes go out there, but um, for the most part, it's, Oh yeah. And then Bobby as well, but I don't think he's got as many athletes as he used to. His group has gotten a lot smaller, especially um, as those athletes start getting older and retiring. Um, mm-hmm. So we've got a few groups. We don't have the most uh, groups, but it's also difficult if you're not a sponsored athlete. So if you're an unsponsored athlete, your biggest options will really kind of your only option is definitely going over to Altus. Um, very welcoming group. Or then like D2, he's such a sweet coach. So he usually, he's always willing to help people. Yeah. How jealous are kind of sprinters that like Nike will give like the Bowerman Track Club and the Nike Oregon Project, these cool group names. And it's like with so many teams out there, like it's, there aren't enough names to these groups. <laughs> I think that they have some names. Okay. They're not the coolest. Like most of the time you're just like, oh, that's Justin Gatlin's group. Like they're right? just, training with Justin Gatlin where the distance runners, like you guys have really cool names like Bowerman Track Club. Honestly, that's what you guys are known as. We're in sprints. We kind of go based off like, oh, that's where Sean A trains. That's yeah, where yeah. Justin trains. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that their groups all have names. <laughs> No one pays attention to it, though. <laughs> I think that's a goal for us, Chris, is to find out what all the sprints and jumps groups official are. names are. Yeah, yeah. That, that will be easy. Yeah, because usually on some of their meets, just don't pay attention to them. <laughs> right. I was like, I, I think at one point I looked over at some entry list and I was like, Tumbleweed Track Club. Like, that's a pretty funny sounding name. And I was like, why don't people use it more? And it's like and I looked and it's like so many of the people had were on the same team. And I was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Um, so I guess take us inside the group that you're working in right now. I've heard just through the grapevine through Mac that he was like, man, if anyone ever wanted to do like a documentary series following like a group, you guys are pretty damn talented and have some awesome personalities in there. Oh my goodness. This group has been my favorite group to train with. Um, Jenna will always be my favorite training partner. But as a group, this group is the most motivating group. Um, Even if you have someone that's your competitor, to have somebody like Brittany Reese, who 
wanted to coach. She'll sit down like she is literally a coach herself. She's done so much studying that she will sit there. She can tell you in the triple jump, hey, this is what you need to fix. Um, will does the same thing. Everyone in that group, although we have coach, we've got coach Fisher there and we have Bashir um, and coach Matt, we have all these coaches and the accessibility, but to have your own training partners also pay attention to how you jump your tendencies and to help you improve and also hold you accountable. Um, it's the best feeling in the world. The personality is absolutely hilarious. Um, if you guys ever come and like, you know, do a documentary on us, I just, I'm going to apologize for some of the comments that may get me. <laughs> Mac, Mac just have your finger on the bleep button, but we'll send we'll send yeah. Mac out there with our with our new nice cameras. <laughs> I'm like we're a no filter group, so. <laughs> but I think that's that works, and that's great. That's what people want to see. <laughs> that's I think that's what people want. That's what we're missing. We play great ratchet music, and then some days someone might have on some slow music, and someone is someone will always call them out and be like, "What are you doing? Are we going to sleep?" Or are we practicing? Why do we have this slow music on? Let's ramp it up a bit. <laughs> does Will play his own music? Um, does Will play? I don't think that Will necessarily plays his music, but his music definitely gets played at practice. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> um, so I was looking recently, you shared the GoFundMe page for you. Um, you're sort of asking people to help you out on this journey to the world championships. And so what went into kind of going public with this? Cause you shed and peeled back the curtain, I think on a little bit on like, yeah, you guys are professional athletes and you guys are some of the best in the world, but it doesn't necessarily mean that like, yes, you have world championship medals and these moments at the U S championships and you see them on TV, but cash is not necessarily flowing to some of the best athletes in the country and it's not as glamorous as people think so what made you want to to go this route and do this it is far as from glamorous um there's few athletes that actually have like these big contracts and i think a lot of people kind of they, they don't realize it they just see hey these athletes are on tv they're professionals they're they're wearing maybe they just might even be sponsored with a kit. They might not even necessarily be getting salary. And so I think that that's something that's super important. I, I know people confuse me all the time. They're just like, I'll get messages. Hey, can you donate this money? And for me, I'm like, I mean, I would if I could, but <laughs> I can't necessarily do that. And so um, it just, uh, unfortunately, USA Track and Field had to to their high performance program um, for the field athletes um, at the training center. And so in that short time that we had got notified about that, uh, it was just too short of time to necessarily find a job, find some source of income and find a place to live, especially in Southern California, which is expensive. It's far from cheap. And I kind of sat around for a while where it was, you know, I wanted to keep that to myself because people don't like putting their finances out to the world. But in that moment, also realizing there's people that are willing to help. There's people that make GoFundMes to have a tooth filled <laughs> or like to get their dog's leg fixed. And so um, I also want to shed light of 
hey, this these are very real scenarios and I hold, I have a medal. I've made teams. I've made two world teams. And so it's not like I'm this, there's, there's some athletes that do make GoFundMes that have never made a team or they've never qualified for a U.S. champs. And I wanted it to be known like, Hey, you know, there's athletes that really are out here. They're, they're these, they could be pros, but they just don't have a source of income. And I just need a place to lay my head. <laughs> that That's the biggest thing um, where right now I'm staying with my aunt, I'm staying on her futon, but it's not the best place for recovery, sleeping on a futon when your body's going through so much um, strenuous workouts, especially in the fall where we're off running in sand dunes. <laughs> and so uh, just doing those, those hard, intense workouts um, for the goals that I know that I can hit and what I want to do. Um, I just know that I need to properly, properly be allowing my body to recover. Um, and so that's what led to, Hey, you know what, let's just do a GoFundMe. If people decide to donate, they decide to donate, um, and just find somewhere, whether it's like a room, um, that's somewhere to at least have somewhere to lay my head and sleep. Mm -hmm. So in the GoFundMe, I kind of want to bring attention to some of those goals that you set out there. And I like that they're definitive sentences and you just didn't shy away from going big with them. You said, I know I could break the American record in the long jump. I know I can make this world championship team and I know I can medal. I just need proper resources again. Those are pretty big goals. Like how did you, like the confidence to back it up and put it out there, how did even writing it down, like, what was that? Like, and casting it out into the ether takes some confidence. For me, that American record has been on my mind since I was at Oregon. Um, I, for, I know that I can hit that American record. Uh, the fact that I went to Olympic trials and came in eighth off of about four weeks of training, uh, that that's what did it for me. Um, I'm nowhere. I, in 2021, I was nowhere as fast, um, probably the past like three years, I hadn't been as fast as I had been in 2015 due to my hamstring injury. But after last year and being at Olympic trials coming in eighth, that was the moment where I was like, you know, you came in eighth place at Olympic trials, these girls were jumping. So it's not like you weren't out there competing this is something that you can do. That American record, all you need is to have your speed back. You're at a great facility. You're with a great jump coach. You can't deny your jump coach. You can't deny your training group. You're learning from this amazing training group. Your coaches believe in you. You believe in you. Your family believes in you. So there's no reason to not have set in stone to myself. You're, you're the future American record holder. And so that's my goal. That's what I want to do. It And the fact that this world championship team is back home for me, that's even more motivation. That that's where I told who was, I think I was talking to Omar Craddock um, in 2019. I think I kind of kicked myself in the butt again with this statement, but I remember specifically telling him, it's not that I don't really care about Tokyo, but my Olympics is world championships back home at Oregon because it's back home. And he kind of cussed me out. It was like, Jasmine, be quiet. Don't say stuff like that. 
but to me that that's where I just feel like a lot of magic is going to happen there's just something that's in the universe in the air that's speaking to me like hey this is your year this is your time and things are gonna fall in place for you so also why I kind of go through these struggles I know it's kind of part of the story that's gonna make it so amazing when this stuff happens you talked about trials last year. What were you sort of expecting going in? And as the competition was happening, was there any sort of change in your expectations as I'm, I'm assuming you were jumping a little bit better than what you had thought? The Hayward <laughs> magic, right? <laughs> the Hayward magic. I So going into 2022, 2021-2021, I couldn't train because I was having a lot of heart palpitations. And so um, they wouldn't let me train until March. I started experiencing this stuff in September. And so, of course, heart health, you want to make sure you're okay before doing anything. And that was my biggest thing as well. Of I'm not going to put myself on the line until I know that it's okay. And then kind of later down, we just, my heart beats faster than normal. And so we kind of got to play around with training. And so, uh, but I was kind of coachless for a while. <laughs> um, and so for me to come back and I, I would sit at practice kind of anticipating to be practicing, my coach wouldn't show up. And finally, um, probably four weeks out from trials, whenever the USATF Jump Fest was the week before that, is when Bashir Ramsey kind of came up to me and he was like, what are you supposed to be doing? Like you're, you're, we see you sit out here every day, but you're just sitting here. You're sitting here when we start practice, you're still here after, like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I'd be like, I don't know, because as an athlete, you kind of, especially once you've been in it for a while, you know where to go, you know, like, hey, this is what I should be doing today. Um, even if you're not necessarily told, like, maybe this is a power day, oh, I should jump today, or I should sprint today. Maybe I should do a longer run today. But in that moment, because I didn't have any fall training under my belt, and I wasn't doing anything, I didn't know where to start. So I'd kind of just be sitting there like, what do I do? And so he came over and he was like, all right, you got 150s today. <laughs> And he kind of just started taking me through those workouts. And so when I got to, to trials, it was, um, I was confident in my ability to make the team, but it also wasn't something that would have been completely detrimental. I did cry after because it, it still hit like, dang, you didn't make this Olympic team. And this is like your dream. But at the same time, I had to sit back and, and realize, Hey, you, you didn't, you weren't really prepped for this in the way that you should have been prepped for this and you can't be hard on yourself. So that just means you come back next year, you figure it out and you do what you know you could have done last year. I love that. Another component to too, is just uh, seeing you last summer, we were all at the tracksmith house cause we were taping our daily podcast from there. And so there, it's funny because Nick Willis is a good friend of ours and has come on this podcast multiple times. And he oversees a lot of the amateur support program. And he tells us the stories of like how people reached out to him. And some of these people end up making it onto the Olympic team. I'm sure like the application from you must have taken him by surprise. Or it's like, there's a world championship medalist just applying to this amateur support program. <laughs> Would you remember any sort of conversation you and Nick might've had? 
So the funnest part is that Nick actually reached out to me because okay. he he saw that I wasn't sponsored and um just the thought of that team atmosphere, I don't know what it was. It it made it was so comforting for me because you know, you're, you're in this random uniform and you see all the other athletes, they're in their Nike kits, they're in their Adidas kit, they're in their Puma kit, whatever shoe sponsor they have, they're in their kit and you're just that random person. And so to be able to kind of blend in with a group and a group that actually did very, very well at Olympic <laughs> trials. They did really well. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like five, five Olympians, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and world record holders. Yeah. So I was just like, Absolutely. I, I loved it. So when we had that conversation, he reached out to me, just kind of told me about Tracksmith and he had let me know, like, you know, in the past we are more distance based. And so now we're trying to reach out into the other events, especially going into this Olympic trials. It's great exposure. It's also like, we're going to help you guys out. We'll have the track house um, where you guys can come for treatment. And they were great supporters the entire time ever since I, I signed on. I'm all for helping smaller companies as well right now because it's like, why not help somebody? Why not represent somebody? And so to be a part of that and also just to witness everybody and learn everybody's different events. I think that was the first time me and Rudy actually sat and had a whole conversation. Um, <laughs> so that was absolutely fun. Uh, and that was when I told him, I was like, you're like Superman. You put your glasses on and you're completely different. You take them off and now you're out here breaking world records. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was an awesome component to it too. I think it was just the the interaction between, you know, the hammer thrower and you just all in the same house, sitting on the same couch, or even just you on the on the table getting treatment while Rudy's competing and rooting for him. Like it was just that cool sort of team aspect that beyond college can sometimes be missing but was brought back just even for the span of like 10 days yeah that was amazing I, I had a lot of fun I was walking like my dog was with me and so I would take her on walks and <laughs> I saw like three people in their tracksmith stuff and I would walk up to them and be like are you a tracksmith and they'd be like yeah I saw you on your tracksmith stuff too and I was <laughs> like oh great well let me introduce myself and then we would have those like quick little bonds of like oh okay so when do you compete did you compete already how'd you do um good luck if you haven't competed and just to to have that bond and even if it's something like you said within that 10 day span I think it it definitely amplified a lot of the magic that happened for Tracksmith at Hayward. So we touched on the big goals and the big vision towards the world championship this year, but I want to hone in on the state of U.S. women's long jump, where last year it was, I mean, the, the personalities are just amazing, especially like the team that was sent to Tokyo, where it's the legend, Brittany Reese, the <laughs> rising star on YouTube, TikTok, Tara Davis. Then on top of that, Quanisha Burks with one of the best stories that I wrote a story on her for Sports Illustrated about how she had gone basically from McDonald's to Alabama and Alabama to now making the Olympics. And, you know, she got on TV a bunch of times and the story like really moved forward where sort of, again, like to the point of what we're, our mission sort of here is to shed the light on all these personalities and stories. Like, it's so crazy how, if you if you lift the, the hood on track and field aside from just what you see on the actual track there's so much so much so many more personalities that are out there and it's so like the state of the u.s women's long jump what in particular gets you excited about this year oh 
my goodness. One, it's open. Like, B. Reese is gone. I think a lot of us are sad about it. Um, so that it's going to be a mispresence of having Brittany there. But at the same time, it is so incredibly open for anybody. Um, there is no definite person that is the legend that's on top anymore um, that you're just like, oh, they're definitely going to make this team. We, we've got so many people from Quanisha, me, Tara, Shaquilla, um, Tiffany Flat Flynn. Flynn, yeah, yeah, right. Um, Sydney Conley. Like there, there are so many great long jumpers that I truly believe that this year is going to be a extraordinary year in the long jumps where it's going to be a lot of seven meter jumpers. When you get off a jump, right? Like a seven, like for example, a seven meter jump. When do you know? Like, when do you know that like you, it, you, it was, it was, the, it was good. You know, in the air and when wow. like when you're in the air, it's just such a completely, it's a different feeling. And you're, you're just like, dang, I'm in the air for a really long time. You have that little quick moment to think. So once you land, you're, you pretty much know you turn around you look at the pit and you're just like that was it what's the mark what also you're checking to see like was that legal or was it a foul it's I hope it's legal that's probably the first initial reactions of everybody is they're going to look at the mark in the pit and see where they landed and they're going to look right over at that that official and be like hey put up the flags I need to know what you in particular run the 100 from time to time and then you know do the long jump whereas like someone like tara davis like we don't see her run like the hundred or uh even like britney we never saw her like line up for for a hundred where does that leave you sort of like wondering where like what could they have done in that flat event or you just know that like when the time is right they're going to pop in the long jump you know they're gonna pop in the long jump tara used to hurdle yeah um i'm not sure if she plans on coming back to it or why she really got away from it. I'm, I'm thinking, I think it was after she had got injured. So I'm not sure if she's going to come back to it, but one knowing her, you know, she's a, a speed jumper. Brittany is also somebody who is a tricky person. Cause I remember running the 60 against her in Washington. She's fast. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany is definitely fast. And so, um, Although it's not as common, it's actually very few, surprisingly, it's very few long jumpers that also sprint in the hundred. A lot of them are actually very fast. Yeah. So there's those speed jumpers and then there's the, the power jumpers as well, those technical jumpers. And you can always kind of tell the difference from that speed down the runway. So when you say Brittany Reese is done, like done, done, or is this something that like, Two months before USA, she could change her mind and like show up and still, no, you're shaking your head. <laughs> no, Brittany was so excited to retire. Um, she, I believe she's coaching right now. And so she, she's moved. She's not even with our training group anymore. I think she could coach herself if she wanted to, because she's been in the game long enough and knows what she needs. But she, one second, let me get my dog. No, no worries. <laughs> Come here. Can't jump on the bed. Gotcha. Um, sorry about that. Okay. 
<laughs> but she definitely, uh, she, she was done. I know in 2019, when we were on the team, we were sitting in uh, the team room and that was one of the conversations she was having with me where she was just like, you know, I'm ready to retire. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to do 2020. And I was like, no, you're going to do 2020. Stop it. And then I was like, no, you're going to do 2021. It's it's in Oregon. But then after 2021, you know, she's like, I'm getting older. I'm kind of ready to be around my son and give him more attention and then just kind of get into coaching and start life after track. And so she ended in a place where she was content and happy. Yeah. Although, uh, you know what? I feel like she didn't get the farewell that, that, that she deserves. Like I know even at uh, Hayward Field last summer, there was a big, you know, big like lap for Allison Felix, knowing that this was the last time that she might, yeah, it was at the trials, I think. Uh, but it's like, we didn't get that for Brittany Reese. So it's like the legend just never got her, her credit. She, she should have been getting all kinds of flowers thrown to her, her entire career, because how often do you see somebody who has so many medals from world championships, from Olympics to constantly winning USA champs at that, where it's not like it was just something that was easy because at times she was jumping against Fumi, she was jumping against Janae Deloge, and she was jumping against Tiana, who are all seven meter jumpers. So it's not like it was an easy task for her, even though, you know, probably easy for her to still jump seven meters, but that's still really good competition. And we say we would say it all the time at the training center like you're you don't get the flowers that you deserve and it's so unfortunate to see especially but that's also the field event side of things where that's kind of the love that we get where it's not really a lot of love well we're hoping to change that maybe our first collaborative thing is doing the proper britney reese like exit interview where we Take, we take everyone through their the career and let them know like, hey, this is what you guys missed out on by not paying enough attention. And so um, I think that's something we got to put on the on the calendar over the next couple of weeks. I think that would be awesome because she so, deserves it. <laughs> yeah. Final questions that I ask every guest. First one is what's the funniest drug testing story that you have? Oh, my gosh. Um <laughs> Probably when I had the flu. Uh, okay. <laughs> I I had the flu. One, I'm terrible with drug tests. I cannot go to the bathroom on demand. So <laughs> I always take forever. <laughs> and so I actually went to practice and I was just like, I do not feel good. And still, I was at Altus at the time. Stu was like, go home. You don't even look good. We don't need you here. No one else needs to get sick. Please go home. This is when showing up sick to work was still okay. (laughs) This is is definitely, yeah, way, way before COVID. So this is when it was okay. And like, uh, I tried so hard, but by the time I got home, I was sweating. I had the chills. It was like full flu effect. And then I got a call and Stu was like, they're here to drug test you. And I was like, Oh, at the track. Yeah, at the track, because I had my my window was set up to be at the track because I know I'm always going to be at practice. Don't ever know if I'm going to be home. (laughs) So because I know I'm consistently at practice, I had that hour window for it to be at the track. And he calls. He's like, hey, they're here to drug test you. Um, They're going to come to you. (laughs) I was like, I have the flu. What is she going to (laughs) do? comes to the door and I was like I I have the flu 
I don't, I don't want you in the house because I don't want to get you sick. She's got to so do she, it. So she sat on the patio. <laughs> wow. On the patio with door closed, and she sat there for probably about an hour and a half to two hours because I couldn't go to the bathroom, and I couldn't walk anywhere. She was like, "I have, they have to see you." Mm-hmm. So I couldn't walk anywhere. I just had to stay in one area. I remember there was a moment when the TV was on. So I just wanted to cut the TV off. And she was like, where are you going from outside? And I was like, I just need to turn the TV off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a good drug tester, though, like doing her job and taking it so seriously. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know what? I mean, we got to do it. And I know I'm clean, so I, I just don't want you to get sick. That was my only concern. I'm like, I don't yeah. want you to get sick. It's germy in here. I feel the <laughs> Next one is, if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, this could be a short run because you're a sprinter. Uh, <laughs> where would the run take place and who would it be with? Ooh. What is the I- longest run you've ever gone on? You know, I couldn't tell you how many laps. It laps, okay. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many laps because we do this run now. We do the fartlek runs where you jog for two minutes, but then walk for two minutes. And that kills me as is. So therefore, mm, I don't really, I couldn't tell you how far. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like not a mile person. But if I could if I could run anywhere, I know that I would want to run in the Caribbean because trees and, and beautiful. So I'd probably pick Jamaica. I love being in Jamaica. If I could run with anybody, it would probably be, it would have to be somebody funny. I would probably go with Brittany. Brittany okay. Because me and her, we we probably wouldn't even run. It wouldn't be a run. We'd go for a jog and we'd stop. And then we'd be like, we're too old for this. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. awesome. Wait, so have you have you done a meet in Jamaica? Yes. Oh my goodness. How that was that? Probably one of my favorite places. It was so fun. Um, I love going to those Caribbean circuits. That's literally my favorite, favorite place to go. Uh, there's always a great party after. <laughs> That always helps. But, but but the atmosphere, especially, it's kind of like being at the NFL game where people are cheering for their team because they they go crazy for the Jamaicans there. But they appreciate anybody who runs fast as well. And they're just so, they're so nice and loving. Um, so I, I love being in Jamaica at those meets. Final question I've got has nothing to do with running. It's you get 25 shots from half court on a full-size basketball court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any of the 25 shots, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots? I'm going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I'm attempting those shots, but I'm probably going to jail. I'm so bad at basketball. (laughs) I I like that you're actually taking the shots though, knowing that it's like, all right, it's not gonna work out, but at least I'll take the chance. You know what? At that point, might as well try, right? Because who knows? Maybe one goes in and then now I'm up. But if I don't, I Joe, Joe Bird. <laughs> <laughs> so Jasmine, when when are you opening up uh, your season? And, and when can uh, listeners expect to see you in action? 
Um, so I'll be opening up at Don Kirby February 11th and 12th, which I'm super excited about. I'll be doing both the 60 and long jump. So the return is back for the double. <laughs> Love it. Um, oh. Awesome. Yeah. So that's super exciting. And once again, welcome to the City of Smag team. We're going to get really creative and try and shine a light on the sprints and the jumps. And we're happy that you're going to be part of it. Thank you. I'm super excited and I can't wait to cover the sprints and jumps because you guys are going to have a ball with the way that I commentate about this stuff. <laughs> yes. Love it. Yes. <laughs> the City of Smack podcast is a production of the City of Smack podcast network. It is produced and edited by Mike Zerzolo. Did you enjoy this episode enough to dish out a couple bucks? Support City of Smag by pledging any dollar amount over on patreon.com slash City to join our loyal legion of backers who keep this show going strong. If you're on your phone right now, you can also open up the Venmo app and hit us with a one-time donation to at Mag. We've also got merch over on CityusMag.com. Any way you can show your support goes a long way. Thanks for listening. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. See you next time.